You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. In our churches, it's described very well in James chapter 1. And it describes the average revival that I get to participate in. I want us to look in verse 14. I want you to have your pen or your pencil in your hand while I'm reading. Because I'm going to stop and have you to circle some things because I never want you to forget it. And the Bible said, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away. Circle those two words, drawn away. Of his own lust, circle the word lust. And entice, circle the word entice. And then when lust have conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Circle the word sin. And when sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Some of you are fired up right now. Some of you have made some major decisions in your Christian life over the last two or three days. And you are excited. Some of you are very excited tonight. Very excited about the song service. Very excited about your preaching service. You ought to be very excited about what I have to say in a few minutes. That's called revival. But see, when we shut this thing down tonight, something is going to change. And Satan is going to show up on your doorsteps like you've never seen it before in your life. And he's going to throw the things out at you that I just read. Now look at it again with me. I'm going to just read straight through it. But every man's tempted when he's drawn away. That word drawn away is critical in your Christian life. Because next you're enticed, then next lust, and then sin and death. And my mind now goes to, I was showing some pictures, uh, I guess yesterday, somebody wanted to see some shark fish in pictures. Uh, and, and we love to do that. Once a year we go down to the Gulf Coast. Take huge pieces of bait, like whole stingrays, this big. Now, if you don't, don't think I'm lying, I'm not lying. This ain't some kind of a redneck evangelist redneck. I'm telling the truth. You, you, can, you can ask Brother Frank that. He saw the pictures, okay? I mean, I'll take that big old stingray and me and my boys uh, uh, get out there and run that thing out on a, on a kayak four to 800 yards in the ocean and throw it out in the ocean, and it's attached to a monster reel huh, like they caught Jaws with, identical to that reel. It is a complete copy. It holds a mile of a 130-pound test line on it, and we'll throw it out in the water. What happens? It might be an hour, or I've seen it take over a day that thing sits on the bottom of the ocean out there. But as soon as that scent comes by the nose of one of them big old sharks, when he catches that scent, he turns. What, what happened? He was going his merry way, but now he's drawn away. And when he turns, see, sin is not sin when it's at temptation. Every single one of us is tempted. All of us. It's not sin then. You see, the temptation is not sin. But see, that next step is drawn away. If he would have just been only tempted and had enough wisdom to know that there's a hook in that thing over there and kept going, he'd been all right. But he didn't. He turned. And when he turned, he started heading in that direction. Guess what? He got closer. And lust began to burn. Lust is headed to something that you have no business to head to. And then what happens when he saw it, when his eyes made contact to it, he saw that stingray. And he said, man, this is food. This is good. And he comes right out. He's enticed. Well, there's no turning around once you're enticed. And when he's enticed, he's shot right up there, bam, it turns into sin. And that's when 
the reel goes off. And I hear click, 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 click. And I just simply reach over there and start turning that drag. And I turn it and turn it and turn it and son, it locks down. And that 130 pound test, it might take 30 minutes and it took as long as three hours. But we have put our 10 foot sharks on the beach there. I own him then. He's out of his element. He can't do anything. It's over with. You see, when that temptation comes by you, if you'll keep on going, you can keep on continuing in your revival. You can keep on with that smile on your face, and you can keep on loving God, and you can keep on being close to God, and you keep on shouting with a smile on your face, and you keep on being in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, but if you turn and you're drawn away, and then you lust, and you're enticed, and you're locked in, and then you take a bite of that sin that Satan throws out there to you. It's over with. It brings forth death. You talking about a physical death? No, I'm talking about a spiritual death. I'm talking about the death that to take your family away from you, take your children away from you, and leave you useless to the things of God. Well, that was nowhere near the message tonight. The Lord just put that on my heart sitting back there. But I hope you never forget it. Let's turn over, if we would, tonight to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 6. Stand and stretch your legs and let's give reverence to the word of God. Here we have Paul speaking. And Paul said... For I am now ready to be offered at the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight and I've finished my course. I've kept the fate and henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. Not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Father, we do thank you, Lord. Lord, how you've put me in a place that I have thoroughly enjoyed every second of it. God, you put people around me that's encouraged me to keep on keeping on. God, you got a crowd out here in California. I believe it won't revival in their heart. God, I pray that you'd bless us one more time like you have every service. God, please use me. God, please use me with clarity of mind. God, let me just get out of the way and Lord, I want to just fall down to the old dirt and dust of the earth that I am. And Lord, please speak through me. God, I'm begging you tonight. God, there's needs under the sound of my voice. And I don't know what they are, but you know. And God, you can take the Holy Spirit of God. And you can take a truth and drive it home and meet a need to every Christian, God. Please help us tonight. Lord, thank you so much for being so kind and so sweet and so gracious to all of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't believe there's anything more simple than the Christian life. I don't believe it at all. I believe it's just plain out right and wrong. It's as simple as it can be. However, simple or simplicity does not make it easy. The Christian life can be a very, very challenging life at some time. Now, we do have to understand, and you've already heard me preach that God don't make no mistakes. Christian life is hilltops and mountaintops 
and valleys all through just like this, just like this. It's simple, but it's not easy. It breaks my heart when people quit. It literally rips my heart out. Now that's an evangelist. And that's relationships that I just have a short time with you. But when I come back, I'm looking for your face. I want to see you again. I want to be encouraged because you're still keeping on, keeping on. It, it, I can't imagine what it is to a pastor. I can't imagine a man that uh, loves your children, marries you and puts you together in holy matrimony and watches you groom and glean into God's word and watch you learn and watch you mature and all of a sudden something happens and you're out of the house of God. I can't imagine how much pain and anguish that is to a man of God that has invested in the single people day in and day out of his life. Storms in our life. Nobody wants to listen. This whole country seems to be turning on God. Fornication everywhere. Pornography everywhere. I mean, it's bad news every night. On the news, this Satan's on a rampage and TV's exploding with this and that and all the other nonsense. And we get oppressed, depressed, suppressed, and sometimes even permanent press. Amen. When all things get us down, let me tell you something. Tonight, I got some reasons why we can't quit. Paul said, I fought a good fight, I finished my course. I've kept the faith. I've been striving for 27 years, folks. And I don't keep on plowing. I preached to the men about plowing Saturday. And I don't keep on plowing until this thing's over. Let me tell you something. I want that old cold body of Rob Hicks to be put down there in some church somewhere. I don't want a bunch of nice things said about me. I do want a couple of things said about I said he finished his course. He fought a good fight. He died serving Jesus Christ. He was real. He wasn't perfect. Uh, kids can tell they were, no, he wasn't perfect. The wife can say he wasn't perfect. But by George, he was real in his love and affection for the Savior. Paul said, I fought a good fight. Now, when I was a little kid, my daddy loved boxing. And so I'd sit in there and watch boxing with him. And I remember as a little old kid, eight, nine years old, watching a match and 15 rounds going. And man, this one guy just beat the devil out of this other guy. I mean, pulverized his face. You couldn't even recognize who he was when he was finished. And I said, man, as he took a beating. And at the end of that fight, my daddy said, Boy, did he fight a good fight. I looked at my daddy like he's lost his cotton-picking mind. I said, Dad, all he did was take his face and beat the other guy's glove up with it the whole time they was fighting. And he said, yes, son, but he finished what he started. So many things my daddy said that I never thought about until I was saved and was reading the Bible. That's what Paul said. You, you realize how much he was beaten, the stripes and all the adversity and all the storms that he went through. Let me tell you something, he finished it. You and I are going to get beat. We're going to get knocked down. We're going to get drugged through the mud. We're going to go through it in this lifetime, but we need to finish what we started, amen. Number one, tonight, some reasons why we can't quit is it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. 
it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, the Bible said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. I love that word sealed, amen. I was thinking about being growing up in my grandma's uh, place down there in East Central Alabama, and she'd go out back and pick all these pears and bring them up, put them in this big old huge pressure cooker and turn that thing on, and man, it'd be an aroma that would fill that house, and you could smell the sweetness uh, of all those pears being cooked down, uh, and she'd make a syrup, and she'd take them out, put them in these jars, and, and man, she'd take the jars and turn them upside down, and they'd go ding, and she is making sweet pear preserves. And I'd say, Nanny, Nanny, I said, what are you doing? And what's it mean when it dings? She said, baby, they sealed. I said, how long are they sealed? She said, baby, they are sealed until somebody breaks the seal. I said, what if nobody breaks the seal? She said, baby, they're just going to get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. And one of these days, they're going to turn to sugar. Let me tell you something. When a sweet Holy Spirit moved into your heart and your soul, if you'll just keep on, you'll get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. And one of these days, we'll check it out of here and it's going to turn into pure sugar. Amen. Now the Bible said it grieved the Holy Spirit. Now the definition of the word grieve is to make sorrowful, to excite regret, to offend, to displease, to provoke, to feel pain or mind or heart. You got to give that some thought, church. To excite regret. Wait a minute, are you telling me, Holy Spirit of God, that you moved in my heart and my soul? You can't get out. But you actually have times of where that you excite regret, which means you wish you was not in there. Am I, am I correct with the definition? Am I right? How is that possible? I'll tell you how that's possible, church. I'll tell you exactly how it's possible. You see, he's in bondage inside of us and he can't change it. He doesn't have any control. It's part of the will of Almighty God. Thank God he can't leave because he's sealed. But when you sit down and you put him right in front of a screen and you make it mandatory that you put all that corruption in front of him and he cannot leave and he cannot move, you're forcing him to witness the things that are on the screen. I'm preaching to you tonight. I'm telling you the truth. There's several steps of revival, folks, and we got to get cleaned up to get there. And that little finger that you swipe across a phone or an iPad or you push keys on a computer with a mouse or get you out of revival so quick it's not even funny. And you put the Holy Spirit right there in front of that and you make him look at it and it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Clean it up. Get rid of it. Couples, you ought not ever have any kind of internet coming in your life or your home without coverage. There's something called a covenant with eyes. And there's other great and unbelievable filters out there that gives you a headquarters uh, that your husband can always see what you're looking at. And you can always see what your husband's looking at. And you can always see what your children's looking at. If there's anything questionable comes up, I get an email instantly that says, check this, it'll be clean. But it'll just be one little word in there, but it still comes up and says, check this, check that. What is that? That's accountability. You say, Brother Rob, Brother Rob, you, 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 you got to have something like that on your life. Listen to me, I don't trust this stinking flesh that I'm, I'm put in no more than I trust the flesh that you're put in. I don't trust my kids, and you shouldn't trust your kids. My kids have never let me down, never did anything shady, but they're 
that's just like I am and we're tempted I told you I've been traveling 25 years there's a TV in every cotton picking motel I've ever been to and I have never one time cut a television on in a hotel room by myself why because I don't want the temptation I don't want to be drawn away now if I've got accountability with my boys traveling with me sure we'll cut that thing off why because there's accountability I don't ever want to get weak with a remote control and be alone. I truly don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Please, please be attentive to that. It can share your revival that God wants you to have. Number two, because of those who have confidence in us. Because of those who have confidence in us. Hebrews 12, verse 1, the Bible said, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay every weight and every sin which do easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Witnesses, cloud of witnesses. Now, now I'm going to tell you something, friend. I'm not going to argue with you about this scripture whatsoever. But a witness is somebody that sees something. That's why you got to have a witness anytime you go to court. Somebody's witnessing something. I don't know how all it's going to play out, but I've got a nanny up there in heaven, my friend, that prayed me in. That woman prayed me to the throne of God. When I was out a drunkard and a drug addict and on my way to a state penitentiary, she was down on her knees. He's a praying for me. What are you talking about, Brother Rock? I had nowhere to go. Uh, somebody else told a testimony here. I can't remember who it was, uh, but it was so parallel to mine about a grandparent that took him in when they had nowhere else to go. Uh, man, my mama kicked me out because she found drugs in the house, and I'm so thankful for that. It's the greatest thing she ever done. And mama, you don't ever put up with that nonsense. You love that child and love him to the day he dies. And I'm going to tell you, he'll come back home if he's got the Holy Ghost in his heart and you're the way you're supposed to be. I'll go to my great believer. Even that, there's one or two things going to happen. God's going to take him out prematurely or he's coming back to the house. One or the other is going to happen. My nanny took me in, thank God, after I bounced around all over the place, living here, living there, just having nowhere to go and nowhere to run. And buddy, she said, come on in here, baby. You know how them nannies are. They give you all that real love, but they got a plan. Come on in here, baby. You can live with me. I ain't no more got in there that first day and there she is and that King James Bible opened up. I mean, that thing looked like a sheet of plywood in her living room. And she turned around she said, Baby, she said, Jesus will change your life, honey, if you just let him. And I say, Nanny, I don't want to hear the word Jesus. I just want to live here. I love you. And I don't want to, I'm not going to church. I'm not reading my Bible. I don't want none of that stuff. And I'd hit the road and stay out all night. And these old buddies, so-called buddies and friends, they'd bring me back home in an old junkie car, kick me out in the back with all the money and the dope was gone. I mean, man, I'd get out with liquor on my breath and drugs in my pocket and just drunk as a dog and vomit on my shirt. I couldn't even walk and I'd get down on my hands and my knees and crawl all the way down that little old, uh, sidewalk and, and I'd uh, fumble around and get into that door. I'd walk in that door and I'd get all the way down that hall because I couldn't even walk. I was on my knees. I had to pass her doorway in her bedroom. And I mean, she purposely left it cracked. And she'd have this little old dim yellow light. I don't know why grandmas like those yellow lights. They never did like the white lights. They're a little 
creepy yellow lights, you know. And, and, and I'd pass by that thing. I didn't even want to look. And, and she'd be in there on her knees, uh, uh, folded over that little single bed. Uh, and she'd be saying, Dear God, please don't let my grandboy go to hell. Dear God, please don't let my grandboy go to hell. And let me tell you something. I'd put fingers in my ears and pillows over my head. I didn't want to hear that. But friend, you can't outrun the certain prayers of a praying grandmama. You can't do it. I, I'll go to my grave believing my grandma prayed me into God. Now, who are you thinking about right now? We can't quit because the ones who had confidence on it. Who gave you the gospel? Who opened up the Bible and showed you that you could meet Jesus Christ? Who told you? Where were you at when somebody was preaching and you got saved by the grace of God? Let your mind go back to it right now. We can't quit tonight, folks, because of the people who have confidence in us. I said, number one, we can't quit because it grieves the Holy Spirit. Number two, we can't quit because of those who had confidence in us. And number three, we can't quit because of the high cost of low living. There is a high cost of low living. I want you to turn over to the book of Ruth. We mean, I'll catch up with you in just a second. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 13, And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be his father and he'll be my son. If he commit iniquity, I shall chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripe of the children of men. Hebrews 12, 6 and 4. For whom the Lord loveth, listen, listen to me. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For that... What son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, wherefore are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. That's not popular preaching anymore, friend, but it's there. Let me tell you something. You think you can get out there in this world and you can hobnob around and you can do whatever you want to without the chasing and hand of God. You have lost your cotton picking mind tonight. It's not going to happen. You and I cannot do that being in the family of God. Why, bro? Let me ask you something. What about your own children? When they step out of line and do some things, uh, huh? do you rebuke them? Do you discipline them? Are you being mean to them? I ain't never been mean to my child. But when he steps out of line and disobeys me and goes against the principles of the word of God, then I have to step in and discipline. Why? Because I don't want his life destroyed. I want him to be blessed. I want him to be used of God. I want him to have a happy life, a happy marriage, raise good children. That's the only reason I discipline him. And that's why God disciplines us. You see, there's a high cost to low living. We can learn that in the book of Ruth. Ruth 1.1. The Bible said, Now it came to pass in the days in which the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, which a sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of the wife, Naomi, and they had two sons, Balaam and Chilion, the Ephronites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into a country of Moab and continued there. Now listen, pay attention to that. The Bible said they continued there, but previously the Bible said they sojourned. Sojourn is just a visit, friend. Sojourn is just passing by and hanging out just for a little while and then coming on by. No, the Bible said they continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of women of Moab, 
The name of the one was Orphan, the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about 10 years. 10 years. Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left with her two sons and her husband. There's a high cost for low living. The Bible said they went down to Bethlehem, uh, bound to Moab. Anytime you go down, friend, you're going away from the will of God. Why did they do that? It got rough. It got tough. Money got scarce. Uh, and, and I'm going to tell you, I believe with all my heart, they got their eyes on the dollar and the town down the road. They left the will of God. Bethlehem, Judah means house of praise and blessings. Moab means God's washpot. You see, God took the daddy and he took the first son and then he took the second son and they stayed there for 10 years. You say, oh, I'm just going, pastor, I'm just going down the road just for a little while. I'm going to come back. No, you won't. No, you won't. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay and keep you a whole lot longer than you want to stay. Verse 19, the Bible said, And so they two went until they came to Bethlehem. Listen to this story. And it came to pass that when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. They said, notice in question form, Is this Naomi? Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Who dealt with her? The Bible said the Almighty. Who dealt with her? God dealt with her. She said, I went out full, and the Lord had brought me home again empty. That is always the case. Young people, some of y'all want to get to be 18 years old. You said, I'm grown. I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, oh, I'm getting out of here. I'm tired of all this God in the morning, God at night, God Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm tired of God at the kitchen table. I'm tired of God at family altar. I'm going to do my own thing. I promise you with love in my heart, you're going to go out full, but you're going to come dragging back in here empty one day. She said, why then call me Naomi? Seeing the Lord have testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me. She was unrecognizable when she showed back up. Unrecognizable. I believe what happened was Lemonak was a man that wanted to serve God. Things got real rough. I can't prove this, but I just believe it. I've seen it so many times. Man, I'm going to tell you, I, I'm, not, I'm not taking either side. Because I've seen so many men wreck so many families. And I've seen women wreck so many families. But as I read here, she said, he afflicted me personally. She testified the evidence there. Hey, 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 uh, let me know. Look, they're making all kind of money down here in Moab. We, we, don't, we, we, we can leave the church for a little while. We just go down there and get back on our feet. Uh, the kids will be alright. We'll be alright. No, no, no. Tough it out. Deal with it. God is coming through for you. I was talking to somebody the other day. Man, you wouldn't believe I got a job. I'm telling you, Brother Brown, this is what he said. I got a job that doubled my income. I said, praise God, man, that is awesome. And he said, yeah, we're moving in about a month. They're paying for everything, taking me out. I can't believe this. I'm going to be living a dream. I said, uh, what's the pastor's name out there? You got about that quiet. He said, oh, we'll find, a, we'll find a, a church when we get out there. I said, when you get out there? 
When you, you're telling me that you're packing your children up and your wife up and you're going out there because you know how much money but you don't know that you have a man of God that's going to stand behind a pulpit and teach you and your family and preach to you and your family and teach your kids Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Are you telling me that you don't know that? Hey, friend, they could be a church 150 miles away from there. And you won't go. You won't go. How sad. I loved all type of music when I was growing up, had a flavor for any type of music. But I remember there was a guy next town over in Munin, Georgia. Man, he hit the big life. Son, I'm talking about he was bringing it in, living an American dream. Boy, he made it to the top. At the same time, old Garth Brooks and old Alan Jackson, and at the same exact time, those three were all together. Buddy, I'm going to tell you, he was raking in the millions. And I'll tell you, I just had him as an idol, as an 18-year-old boy. I was like, man, that's so close. That's so real. I mean, you can see it. It's right here. It's visible. It's possible. And I've always had it in my mind that if I set myself to something and I do it, and everything that I got, I can achieve it. Until somebody heard me sing, and they said, you forget that. <laughs> man, I said, jealous. I'm so jealous. I hear you say, I just want to drop kick him up. I do. I get so bitter. I mean, I have to repent like a hundred times before I preach because, God, why did you give me this voice? I, he said, because you'd have too much pride and you'd sing all the time. We'd never preach. He's probably right. I love to sing, but I, nobody loves to listen to me. And so Bennett boy could sing. And then he came out here to California and he entered into the realm of Hollywood. Man, he is really big wheeling now. He had a convoy of the multiplied thousand dollar of, of, of those uh, big old uh, uh, live-in trailers and, and all that kind of stuff and, and uh, had a wife, had children. He was just living the dream that you could only imagine to live. No problems. Everything glorious every day of his life. And then I got saved. And when I got saved, I totally forgot about all of that life. I burned all those CDs. I got rid of all that music. And to be honest with you, he never entered into my mind anymore. I'm serving God all over the country. I have Bible college and graduated, and I was invited to come down to Atlanta, Georgia, to preach a revival. Man, I'm preaching a revival. One night, the back door opened up. I was already preaching all the congregations in. I was already on my point. And I was preaching on the prodigal son coming home that night. An old boy coming, walking in the back. And I looked, and you know how something hits you. He's like, I, I, I recognize that face. I, I, I just can't get it, and it's bothering me while I'm preaching. He came in and sat down on the back, the second to the back row there. And I'm looking at him, and he's got a tattered old shirt on, raggedy blue jeans and raggedy old uh, penny loafer shoes. And I'm like, man, who? Is that? And it's just, it's just bothering me because I'm trying to think who this guy is. I know the face. His face was just scarred and tattered. And it hit me. It's him. It's the guy that I idolized. It's the guy that I wanted to be. 
He is sitting in this building right now, and I'm preaching the gospel in Atlanta, Georgia. And man, I preached that night, and I preached the prodigal came home that night, and I gave altar call, and he walked down the aisle and fell on his face before God, and I'm like, this is unbelievable. He's getting saved by the grace of God. And he's weeping with a passion, and he points up to me, and he said, I want the life that that man right there has. And the tears were streaming down my face, and my mind goes back to an 18-year-old boy wanting to go out to the neon lights and become a millionaire and live the American dream and that man wants my life. That life stripped him of everything he had. He lost his convoy. He lost his singing career. He lost Hollywood. He lost his wife. He lost his kids. And he was $200,000 behind on child support and alimony. And I just thought, how good God is. I don't have no bank account for retirement. I don't have anything laid up. But I got four boys in my life that tonight thinks I hung the moon that waits up until midnight for me to get back to the hotel last night to FaceTime with me and to laugh and to talk about the meeting and sit there at home and watch me preach last night when they don't have to. And I'm going to tell you something. You ain't got enough money to buy that. I've got a wife that's been faithful that I've never thought. I'm going to tell you something that loves me unconditionally. You can't put a price on that. You want to chase these idiots around. And all you can see is what they have on the outside. You have no idea what they don't have in the inside. There's a high cost below living. I think about what God's done for me. Saved a sorry, low-down, drunkard and drug addict. Pulled me out of all that junk. Saved my marriage and made me a daddy. Gave me a ministry. I don't know of anybody that's happier than the man you're looking at right now. Do I have storms? Oh, you, you got no idea. Never mind in God's storms. Last year was one of the hardest years that I've ever had of disappointments and heartbreaks because of people that I loved and had confidence in. But he ain't let me down. And he promised he never would let me down. There's some reasons why we can't quit tonight. Grieves the Holy Spirit. Those who have confidence in us. Because of the high cost of low living. What the Savior's done for me. Will you take just a moment and think about Him? We ain't honored Him enough in the last two or three days. We know what He did, but sometimes we just need to hit a little refresh button, don't we? Let's take our mind right now. Let's go back to Jerusalem. Let's go back and picture the Son of God. God Himself in the flesh, as John 1 teaches us. That was God. Let's see him being accused in the streets of Jerusalem. 
Let's see them saying he's guilty. He wasn't guilty. He never committed a sin, nor have he ever thought about a sin. I'm going to tell you, he was man 100%, but he was God 100%. That is like you and I, without ever thinking about sin in our lives, I'm talking about God tonight. Oh, he's guilty. He wasn't guilty. Oh, man, how they took and, and they, they just walked him down the street. And, and man, they spit old rotten old wads of corruption on the Savior, the Son of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, I love you. Man, I'll avoid fighting with you. I used to fight all the time before I got saved. I wouldn't want to fight anybody. But I promise you, if one of y'all spit on me before I get out of here tonight, son, it's Fifth City. We're going to mix it up and knock over every cotton picking chair in this auditorium before I get out of here. Why? Because I'm not God. I'm going to tell you something. God. God allowed that to happen to him. Why? Because this little old drunk that lived down in Alabama named Rob Higgs was on his way to a devil's hell. And he wasn't going to stop. The Bible said they scourged him with a scourge. Wooden instrument about yea long. Had nine thongs on it. Wrapped up with glass and bone and metal. No Roman soldier took that cat of nine tails and just lashed the back and the side and the abominable area of our Savior and snatched it back and leave, leave the deep lacerations in his body. And the history books tell us that many people never even made it to the cross of crucifixion. They died because of the scourge. The Bible said they buffeted him. What is that? That's a brute force from the fist. That's a big old Roman soldier, probably 240, 50 pounds. And a lot of you men, you know you've been hit in the face. You've probably been in some fights. And you could absorb it because you saw it coming. There's something about seeing it coming and you could actually absorb it when you see it coming. But he couldn't. He had a bag, a, a, a quill saw over his face and he couldn't see it. Can you imagine receiving those blows? You say, what did he look like, Brother Rob? But the Bible said he was... Couldn't be recognized. He couldn't be recognized even by the ones that he loved, the one that loved him. I believe his face was turned inside out. His lips were swelled over. What you, I'm not talking about that stupid little picture that you see in Walmart. I'm talking about the biblical account tonight. I'm talking about something that you and I need to see that will change our life for the love of Christ tonight. They put the thorns on his head, his brow. They mocked him and they laughed at him and they called him, Oh, King of Jews. They put him on that cross. They put him on his cross. His joints began to come out of place. The pain and anguish. They say there's no pain that could be designed back then that could be any more brutal than the crucifixion when they designed the death of the crucifixion. But he loved us. And he paid every sin debt on the sound of my voice. He jumped that spear up through his side in water and blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I heard a man talking about the crucifixion after I was saved. And I was weeping so uncontrollably I had to pull the vehicle over and stop. And picture what the Savior done for me personally. I had to change my last life verse. I changed it to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. 
But I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. In the life which I now live, the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That verse changed my life that day. Why? Because I put my name right there personally. It didn't matter if anybody else lived in the entire world. Rob Hicks's name could be placed right there. If that won't change your life and your Christianity, then I don't know what will. There's some reasons why we can't quit in that. Breathes the Holy Spirit. Those that have confidence in us. The high cost, the low living. What the Savior done for me and what the Savior done for you. And there's an appointment that we can't miss and I'm done. And that appointment forever saved, child of God, is just judgment seat of Christ. You see, that little lamb is not going to show up at the judgment seat of Christ. He's gone. That little lamb that was blemished came here and died for us without any resistance whatsoever. But when we see him again, we're going to see the roaring lion king of Judah. The Bible said he's going to have flames. Eyes will be as flames. You know, we can miss a, maybe a, a dentist appointment. God help us, I hate Dennis. I hate Dennis. I go anywhere, man. I go to I, I go anywhere. Uh, doctors don't bother me and nothing like case. Dennis, I think all Dennis is going to hell. I really do. <laughs> I hate him. And I'll get out of it. You ask my wife, I'll get out of it by all means. But sooner or later you're gonna go. You might get out of a court appearance for a little while. There's one place that none of us is going to get out of. And that's the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible said we're going to give an account for all the deeds done in this body. Oh, and it's not going to be payment for sin. You see, it translates way beyond that. You're saved and sealed. You're on your way to heaven if you've been born again. But it don't change the fact that we're going to give an account when we stand face to face to Christ. Folks, I don't know when it's going to be, but I believe we're in the last days. I believe he can rapture us out at any given time. All prophecy has taken place that needs to take place for the rapture. We need to make some decisions tonight. Let me ask you something. Of course, don't answer. But is something in your life grieving the Holy Spirit tonight? It needs to be eliminated. It needs to be taken out. Think about those who have confidence in us. Think about the high cost of low living. Folks, we are living a dream serving Jesus Christ. Think about what the Savior done for you and I. And think about the judgment seat of Christ. Man, would you come to the instrument? I'm fixing to give an invitation. And I sure hope that we'll pay attention to the Spirit of God tonight. I sure hope that we won't grieve Him. God wants to do some special works in this church tonight. Some deep private works. It's nobody's business. It's not this preacher's business. It's nobody else's business under the sound of my voice. It's your business and God's business. We need to take care of that business. 
We need to walk out of here with peace and serenity in our heart that we are clean. God said, though you sin, be a scholar. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.